If you like a little bit of a history lesson on world disasters or a little bit to do with the brain, you're going to want to tune into this week's episode of Five Minutes Accounts. This week we're going to be exploring a story of sleep paralysis called The Hat Man, and then we'll explore a funeral home turned restaurant and where a girl and my sister met had a story that would change our lives by the name of Call the Morgue. I've never been one to shy away from taking medication when I'm not feeling well. And I know there's a lot of people who are the exact opposite. They will avoid any kind of pain medication as much as possible. But as somebody who suffers from chronic migraines and headaches, and I've also had my fair share of strep throat cases, I'm very familiar with how my body reacts to things like penicillin, Tylenol, the occasional Tylenol 3 to help with a migraine, which if you don't know what Tylenol 3 is, you probably would have taken it if you've had your wisdom teeth out, um, anything like that. They give you Tylenol 3 to manage a lot of pain. Uh, I've taken my fair share of cold and flu medication. Basically what I'm trying to say is my brain and my body are very used to a little bit loopy, I guess you could say, and I'm also very used to just being able to function like that. And disclaimer, obviously, I've never operated any kind of machinery while being under the influence of one of these medications that might make you feel a little loopy and not quite yourself. But since I'm so used to pain medication, I sometimes find myself having to push the limits that are listed on the bottle because sometimes the initial dose doesn't always seem to work. And I think that's more of a pain scale than rather than um, because I, I don't overuse these medications. I just deal with a lot of chronic pain. Um, so if the initial dose doesn't seem to be working, I'll have to take more. And the way I justify this is if you've ever had a headache that was so bad that your eyes hurt and you can't even seem to imagine eating or stomaching anything, you'll do whatever you can to stop that pain. And sometimes for me, a Tylenol 3 that is a pretty heavy considered narcotic doesn't work because my headaches are so bad. And you'll do anything. So if that means taking a little bit of an extra Advil or a little bit more of cold medication, I'm going to do it. And obviously I do understand there's a lot of people who may not agree with this, but I live strongly by the I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Now, before we go forward into this story, we actually have to go back in time a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean going back to the year 1664, when the first study, clinical study involving sleep paralysis was done. Sleep paralysis is said to be a form of black magic. Now, in the 20th century, we know that there's still not much known about the cause of sleep paralysis, but black magic doesn't necessarily seem to be the main cause. The best way that this can be described is almost like a brain glitch. So during your REM sleep cycle, your body becomes paralyzed to keep you from falling off your bed or keep you from accidentally 
doing something dangerous to yourself during a dream. And then when you come out of REM sleep, that's also when you come out of this paralyzed state when you wake up. But if you're experiencing sleep paralysis, when you wake up, you're not leaving the paralyzed state. So it doesn't give you the ability to move. And that's usually when people start to experience hallucinations, and typically the hallucinations are not good ones. Since you're in a bit of a panic, this is where I kind of imagine why you may have negative, why there's a lot of negative experiences with sleep paralysis and seeing things um, because your heart is most likely racing and sending a message to your brain that you're in danger. And for a majority of people, the break between REM sleep and being awake is such a clear line. And for some of us, the lines become a bit blurry. And when you're conscious, yet also in REM sleep, that gives the potential nightmares to seem more real. Because also when you're in REM sleep, that is when the majority of your nightmares will happen. Now for me, there was a brief point in time where I was really into learning about the brain and brain disorders, and I went down a little bit of a deep hole of sleep paralysis experiences, which evidently made me never want to experience that at all. Which is when I came across the reoccurring figure of the hat man. He's described as a tall, mist-like man, and his physical attributes tend to change slightly from person to person. But one thing that remains the same is he's in a trench coat and a short top hat. And he's quiet. He doesn't touch you or try to hurt you like most, so to speak, sleep paralysis demons. And he's said to stand in a corner, and he just watches you breathe, and he's commonly to be believed um, to be a shadow person and that's when I figured out that a lot of people who have seen the hat man are people who seem to abuse DHP which is an active ingredient in Benadryl. Now I don't know about you but if I think too much about the things that our brain has the ability to do we just haven't unlocked that yet. That freaks me out. I, I do not like the idea of my brain being able to do things that I don't know that it can do. But when you're experiencing those things, there's really nothing that you can do. Your brain's going to do whatever it wants. So I'm currently dealing with a strange cold lung situation. We think it may be allergies or the remnants of a strange coop-like virus. Basically, I have to wait a few more weeks before I can go back to the doctor and find out if there's anything else going on that we don't think. But basically, I've had this awful, awful cough for about three weeks, and it hasn't let up, and I haven't been able to get a decent sleep since I came back from a trip, which is when the cough started three weeks ago. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to the pharmacy, I'm going to get some sleepy time, cold medication, just to knock me out, just so I can get a half decent sleep. And since I'm so used to taking all of these things, I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'm not worried about hallucinating or for some reason 
experiencing sleep paralysis. And basically at this point, I am so desperate, I will try anything. Honestly, I was willing to take the risk to see the hat man if I could just get some sleep. But also keep in mind, I am in no way at this time imagining that I'm about to abuse the use of Benadryl. I'm going to say, do what it says on the bottle and take no more. So I get home from work, I shower, I get all cozy in bed, and I take the Benadryl just in hopes of finally getting some sleep and not coughing through the night. Part of me, this was the first time I'd ever felt anxious about taking something. Like I was like, oh, like there was just dread in the back of my mind. And so I just, you know, took it as quickly as I could and just tried to not think about it. And as soon as I took it, the anxiousness didn't let up. But I've also recently fallen behind on my anxiety medication, so I kind of convinced myself that, oh, well, maybe that's just it. I am, you know, I'm just too, too anxious for my own good, and at this point, I just need to go to sleep. So I turn the lights off, put on the show that I've recently been watching, and start to fall asleep. And I was able to actually fall asleep very quickly because the coughing had eased up so much. But something was slightly keeping me awake. And so when I felt myself wake up in the middle of the night, I just assumed there was a scratch in my throat that had woken me up, but I couldn't move. No matter how hard I tried to get my limbs to hold myself up, nothing was working. So that's when the part of my brain that was awake made the connection of what was happening to me. And there he was in the corner of my room by the door. Naturally, I felt my heart racing in my ears, panic was settling in, not making this literal nightmare any better. He was just as he was described in the research. Tall, red eyes, barely any shaping to his facial features, and a top hat. I knew he wouldn't hurt me since there hadn't been any cases that I had read of, of course. I'm not thinking too deep in this very moment, but you get the point. He didn't move or come near me. He just watched. So I tried to calm my mind, and before I knew it, a real dry cough that was stuck in my throat woke me up, and I was alone in my room, from what I could see anyway. Since I sleep in the pitch black, I search my bed for my phone, too scared to turn towards the door. And I start playing a TV show that's lighthearted, and I'm able to fall back asleep again, with no strange figures showing up for the rest of the night. The night had felt long while I was in it, but when I woke up in the morning, I felt like I hadn't had a decent amount of sleep in days, which I'm unfortunately very familiar with the feeling. I felt out of sorts, and I was still processing what I had seen. The next night, I knew I would be more careful about what I was taking, and going to bed very cautiously. I haven't seen the hot man, hat man since, and my cold is cleared up, so I know it'll be a while until I have to worry about seeing him again. I'm starting to feel like I give a lot of history lessons in these, but it's just to set the story. So on April 15th, 1912, the Titanic sunk off of the coast of Newfoundland. Now, because the nearest mainland port was in Halifax, Nova Scotia, that is where they deployed a lot of the rescue missions. The owner of J.A. Snow Funeral Home, John Snow, took part in the rescue missions, if you can even call them that, due to the fact that it was more of a recovery at this point. 
the wealthier victims of the sinking ship were brought back to his mortuary on Argyle Street. Five years later, in December, the Halifax explosion happened, which if you don't know, was one of the biggest man-made explosion in, explosions in Canadian history, with many people, not only from the initial blast, but also from the weeks that followed, dying because windows were blown out and it was the middle of winter and essentially people froze to death in their homes. Very, very awful part of our city's history. Now, because of the blast, the windows in the Argyle Street building were shattered, but the funeral home remained open. There were roughly around 2,000 victims and funeral services were amassing 30 to 40 a day. Years later, the funeral home is no longer on the Argyle Street building. Instead, it is home to the Five Fishermen restaurant, which has been a staple to the Halifax restaurant scene since 1975. And it's very big news if you or someone you know is to get a job there, not only for the tips, but also for the ghost stories. Now, because Halifax is so small, the service industry and the people who are in the service industry, you always run into somebody who knows somebody that you know, and it's a big social thing. You very easily know what beer gardens to go to, and which restaurants are going to make you the best tips, which ones have terrible, terrible management, but you'll probably leave there making $500 a night. And in the case of the Five Fishermen, everybody knows it is a great resume booster. So when my sister got a job there one summer, we were so excited for her. Now with the history of the restaurant, you may think this is going somewhere, but I can promise you it's not going where you think it is. Because of course it was very common to hear, you know, knocking around the restaurant when no one was around and anything like that. And unfortunately, but fortunately for my sister, unfortunately for me, she never actually witnessed anything and has heard a lot of stories, but she's never convinced that she herself saw something. And this is where the story kind of goes off track because is this an urban legend? Is this something that actually happened to this girl? I don't know. I personally have read a similar urban legend or a similar scary story, but it's almost too real to not believe this happened. Now, like I said, where I'm from is a very small town. Everybody knows somebody that you know, and a lot of the stories you hear, it's very common for someone to be like, oh yeah, I think I heard that, that sort of interaction. Very, very common. So my sister knew one of her coworkers who was friends with this girl. Now, whether my sister's coworker was also involved in this story, I can't quite remember. But it basically goes as this. This girl for her 18th birthday decided she was gonna go to Montreal. Because if you know, Montreal's legal drinking age is 18. So she decided she was going to go up to Montreal with a bunch of her friends 
and at this point you're still, you might still be in high school, but also you could be in first year university. So, like, what age this girl was in, I'm not sure, but I know she was 18. And this is something that's very common for people to do, especially because Montreal is so close to Nova Scotia, it's very easy to get there. It can be pretty cheap depending on who you're flying and what time of year. So basically, this girl goes to Montreal for her 18th birthday with three of her friends, and they go clubbing. They're having the best time, they're meeting all these new people, and the girls who, whose birthday it was was dancing with this guy. And they're dancing, they're having so much fun, and she gets invited to leave with him. And she thinks about it, she kind of wants to do it, but her friends talk her out of it. They're like, no, what? you're 18 and you just met this guy in this club, like, no, because also they're in a province that they don't know anybody else you know safety in numbers girlies so basically they're like no we're sticking together you're not going home with this guy and they go back to their hotel they finish the rest of their trip and then they come back home and a few days after her trip she notices this weird rash and she doesn't really know what it's from so you know she goes to the doctor to get it looked at and she's not thinking anything of it it could be from anything and so when she goes to the doctor they take a swab of it kind of try to, f to figure out how to treat it and she gets a call back a few days later and they ask a question that she wasn't exactly prepared for do you work um, in like a funeral home or uh, a morgue anywheres that dead bodies are around that's what they asked her and she's 18 in university and she's like no I know I'm not around why would I be around dead bodies and the doctor he basically says well because your rash is consistent with this chemical that is only seen in funeral homes and morgues now, whether they were talking about something that's like a formaldehyde or anything like that, I don't know. The only thing that she could think of where she would have come in contact with anything of the sorts was this guy that she was dancing with in a club in Montreal. So whether or not he worked in a morgue or was around these kind of chemicals, we'll never know. But that's kind of the best case scenario, isn't it? Just hope that he's not somebody who is looking to hurt her and has a reason to be around those chemicals. That is a perfectly normal and logical explanation. That's all we can hope. My doctor has me. Some things that are better left unsaid I think that maybe Maybe I've been dancing with I'm dead 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eyewitness Accounts. If you or someone you know has a story you would like to hear on the podcast, email us at podcasteyewitness at gmail.com, DM us on Instagram at eyewitnessaccounts, and don't forget to follow us for any updates on new releases. Narration by Sydney Bonin and scoring by Paul Dawson.